Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Tampa Bay Lightning won their seventh game in a row. They beat the Carolina Hurricane 3-1. to The Bolts just one point from second place in the Atlantic Division with two games at hand and seven points from the Boston Bruins. Who's responsible for this winning streak? And it was wild card weekend in the NFL. Have we seen the last of Tom Brady with the Patriots? Have we seen the last of Tom Brady in the NFL? Will Drew Brees follow him into retirement after another loss in the playoffs to the Vikings? And the Texans and Titans are moving on. You know what? The Bucks were probably better than both of them. We've got all that and more in this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Happy New Year to you, Steve. Exciting uh, 2020, of course, again on this podcast. And uh, we start with the Tampa Bay Lightning, who are red hot. Uh, this was uh, seven games in a row now they've won with their win on Sunday against the Carolina Hurricane. I, I was reading something, Steve, about this. This is like their their fifth seven-game-plus winning streak uh, since like the start of 2018. Does yeah, that sound the right last two seasons, so really a season and a half. Wow. Uh, only the Edmonton Oilers of the early 80s uh, had more at six seven-game winning streaks in two, in two yeah. consecutive seasons. So, um, And they still have a half a season left to play here, so. Yeah, well, so, I mean, in a nutshell, they're playing better, right? And I think yes. that uh, that that always starts to some extent with your goaltender under Veslevsky. He's been extremely good during this stretch. Uh, and I saw where, you know, they're averaging during the seven-game winning streak four goals a game, which will usually get it done for you. Uh, any Anything you pinpoint, you put your finger on that you say, yeah, that's, that's the reason now this has turned? I, I just think defensively they're playing a lot better. And, and, and really, this started before this win streak. I mean, yeah. we talked about they were playing well, but a couple mistakes a game, and it would end up in the back of their net. And, and John Cooper mm-hmm. talked about it Sunday. He said, look, I think we're getting finally getting rewarded for the play we've been playing for a while. Yeah. We're just getting rewarded now, where we would come out of games going, we should have had two points, and we didn't. And so I, and, and the defensive effort, it's, and I don't mean just the defensemen either. I, I think it's the forwards. You're seeing a more conscious effort the whole team's getting back and back checking and, and they're playing a more responsible game, which is what they've talked about all season. And maybe you hate to give credit, but could Nostra Thomas have been correct? He said <laughs> yeah, he that was. the hangover would end at Christmas. This win streak started <laughs> two days before Christmas against the Panthers <laughs> on December 23rd. It's really funny because people are tweeting about that. And sometimes, you know, a clock is right twice a day, which I always remind Tom, but yes. he, he does have a feel for, for hockey in general. And, and, um, and, and I think the Lightning specifically, there's probably something to that. I mean, you know, first of all, I think people have to understand that each team is different, right? Like, no matter what you do in professional sports the year before, is there some carryover? Absolutely. Are there lessons learned? Sure there is. And when you have a core of players like the Lightning do, um, you know, it's 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 even more effective in, in the sense of, you know, you gain experience in playing together and you know how to sort of navigate the, you know, the, the peaks and the valleys of this thing. Um, but every team is also different. You're still starting over. You're still learning how to play with each other. You're still having to shake some of that hangover that I'm sure that 
that Tom had talked about. And, and there probably is a lot to that. But whatever it is, they know that they've always known that they have a talented hockey team. And it's all bunched up now. I mean, you know, this is how you gain ground in the standings. You win seven in a row and put down 14 points, and they have games at hand, as we mentioned. Um, you know, they, who knows where they wind up in another week or so if they continue to play this well. Uh, but they've made up ground in a hurry, and I think most Lightning fans are probably have a sigh of relief. And if you're in the NHL, you're probably looking at them going, hmm, here they come. Yeah, I mean, this is what you expected them to play like more of the season. And, and you know, sure. and defensively, I mean, I just added it up. They gave up 15 goals in these seven games. Oh, wow. That's or, so great. that's, you know, two goals a game. And they had a couple mm-hmm. where they gave up four, but four times in this in this stretch, they've given up one goal. Yeah. You know, they're playing a lot better. This is the Lightning team you expected to see, and, and they're in control of games. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe they're not scoring as much as you've been accustomed to in the past, although lately it's been better. But but I think that part of that is is they're trying to play more responsibly on the other end of the ice. That you know it's great to rack up all the stats like you did last year and get sixty two wins and and Nikita sure. Kucherov the one hundred twenty eight points in that and that's fantastic. But it didn't carry over to the playoffs and and I think there's many reasons for it. It's not just that, but they're really trying to consciously play a game that is more suited for the playoffs, where you don't have to try to change your game come playoff time. Because we all know. And despite the NHL will tell you it doesn't, they officiate the games differently. Yep. There's not as much space. There's not as much of this because they allow you to hold more and hook more and and, and all that mm-hmm. stuff. So you've got to be able to you've got to be able to play a more responsible game because you're not you're not going to generate as much offense in the playoffs as you generally do. So you've got to be able to play the other end of the ice better, and that's what they're doing. And 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 I really think the biggest improvement this year has been Mikhail Sergachev. And, and mm. even through this first half of the season. And we, we all know he's talented offensively, and he, he's been ever since he came up. He's the 10th overall draft pick, ninth or 10th, I believe. I think it was 10th for the Montreal Canadiens. You expect him to produce right away, and offensively he has. But he's really understanding the defensive side of the game now. He's being more physical. He's playing a better game in his own zone, which has really helped the Lightning. It's really now, you, you know, you kind of sat there and you go, okay, on the defensive end, you had Hedman and, and McDonough, and, and Coburn's fairly responsible, but his game's limited. Sergachev and Shattenkirk are offensive defensemen, you've always said. But if Sergachev's develop, developing that defensive game now, and that's really changed the course for this team, I believe. Because it now gives you, and Chernak's good defensive. So now you have four, you know, four that you can really count on solidly. Sergachev, Hedman, Chernak, and McDonough. Defensively. Look, defensemen, they've always said it takes 200 games to really find your game in the NHL. Sergeyev's mm-hmm. at 194 right now. He's right on schedule to where he should be. And, and he's really finding that defensive game, and I think that's really helped the Lightning. And, and to give you four solid defensive defensemen on this team, and then you've got Coburn and Ruda and Shattenkirk to you know, help out. And Shattenkirk's played okay. I, this defensive mm-hmm. game lacks some, but it hasn't been, hasn't been bad, just... He's not as solid as the other four. but So I, I really think Sergachev's development for the past couple seasons, but particularly you're starting to see his confidence too. And, and with the fight the other night and taunting the crowd and he's being more physical as a defenseman and, and getting more involved in that side, it's only good news for the Lightning. Yeah, he brought some real energy to him with that fight, man. He also clocked that guy. That was one of the better uh, better fights of the year. Um, you know, they, out, they were outshot uh, in this game – uh, on Sunday night, thirteen to five, but they buried 
their first couple chances, including one by Steven Stamkos on what was kind of a turnover. That first line is is back together now, has been, I guess, for, for a little while with Kucherov and, and Stamkos and Braden Point. That seems to be, you know, you always want your best players to play best, to play great, and all those guys are going well right now. Well, Stamkos, the one thing we've seen particularly this season is when Stamkos is with better players, he plays better. Mm-hmm. And it's it's he's a high skill player. He needs high skill with him. When they started putting Sorelli on his line a few weeks right. ago, all of a sudden Stamkos got a lot better. He got started getting mm-hmm. hot. Um, when you put Point and Kucherov with him, when they're not too cute and they don't turn the puck over too much, sure. which is what's always been the knock of Stamkos and Kucherov together, which is why I don't like them playing together as a rule, as a whole. I yeah. mean, the power play is one thing, but five on five that, yeah. is is mm-hmm. they they aren't as responsible with the puck as I'd like them to be. Is mm-hmm. you know Kucherov will make the the dazzling plays, but also turn it over at the blue line and give rushes up the other way, right? And, and they also like to pass to each other a little too much instead of shooting the puck. But when they when they when they are playing a good game together, it's 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 beautiful to watch on the ice. I mean, you can't find a more talented line in hockey if you're going to put Kucherov, Point, and Stamkos together offensively. That is a that's a brilliant line and and defenses have to go, what do we what do we got to do to stop this line? I mean, every one of those players can bury it from anywhere on the ice. Right. What I like about it is when you hear these guys talk about this winning streak, it's it's not surprising to them. You know, they are they have sort of been waiting for it. They've anticipated it and maybe uh made Tom's prediction correct, waited till after Christmas, but um they they knew this was in them. I suspect the rest of the NHL does too. And now, it, you know, with the games at hand, because, you know, that's sort of where we started the season with, um, they, they could continue. If they continue on here, they could find themselves at the top of the Atlantic, right? Because those other teams aren't necessarily playing great. No, Boston's 4-1-5 and five in their last um, 10 games. I mean, look, Boston's played two more games. The Lightning and Boston have the same number of wins now. Wow. Now, Boston has 11 overtime losses already. So they're getting mm-hmm. points in a lot of their losses. But... Mm-hmm. You know, the Lightning in Toronto and Boston all have the same amount of wins. Tampa Bay's got less games played. Right. So they're all right there. You know, the Atlantic, I mean, I think those three are the top three teams. I think Florida's still pretty good. Um, Buffalo and Montreal are kind of fading, as you kind of I kind of predicted they would. Right. Um, so it's really a four-team race in the Atlantic. Um, if the playoffs started today, Florida right now would be the wild card. So... You would get four teams from the Atlantic in because the, the Metro divisions kind of come back a little bit. Or Florida and, and Toronto and Tampa Bay actually have been playing really well lately, so they're kind of caught up to them. So, um, you know, ideally you'd like to win the Atlantic because you like to win your division, but maybe the two seed would be better. I mean, you know, you're looking ahead three months from now, but get that two seed. You don't have to face the wild card. You're not going to face potentially Carolina or maybe the Islanders. Or maybe even the Penguins right. in the first round. You're going to face Toronto mm-hmm. probably. I, I still, I think Boston or Tampa Bay will win this division. I don't, I don't see Toronto winning the division. I think they'll make the playoffs. Well, they'll be fine. But so you, you got them winning it, and there's plenty of time for that. They're obviously right where they need to be. They uh, host, of course, uh, the Canucks on um, t- tomorrow. Yep, tomorrow night. Yeah, uh, and and that's at Emily Arena, and then they got the Coyotes. On Thursday at Emily Arena, and yep. then, uh, then you got another back to back this weekend. Yeah, you got Philly and New Jersey. Mm-hmm. This is a remember. This is the stretch of thirteen games in twenty one days. That's right. And that was a brutal back to back that they just played. So yeah, they were in Ottawa Saturday night, and they have a seven fifteen puck drop because it's hockey night in Canada. 
So you get done with the game. You then fly to Carolina. You have to go through customs. You mm-hmm. get to your hotel about 2.30. Players may be in bed by 3. And then it was a 5 o'clock start. It wasn't a 7 o'clock start. So you got to your hotel room 14 hours before the puck drop. Yeah, that's tough. That's a tough back-to-back. And they came out and scored two goals in the first five minutes and set the tone, and, and were really able to control the game from that point on. Yeah, you, you expect them to be flat, but that was their that was their whole you know speech going into it. We wanted to start fast, and they did give up some shots. But like I said, outshot thirteen to five, and you bury the first two. When you go up two nothing like that, that certainly uh, takes away the jet lag, eight hundred and something miles. Like I said, so yeah, it's it's been it, look you know from afar or or if you watched every game, I did have a chance. I was uh, actually out of town uh, for some of those games. I did watch on Sunday, but. Um, it's it's really been interesting to sort of see them, you know, just reel everybody in, and that's that's what they needed to do. They needed to go streaking. They've been a streaky team for the last couple of years, and of course, last year they had a bunch of these winning streaks. So we'll see if they can keep it going. But it's fun to uh, now that football is over, uh, and you know we're we're pretty good ways removed from the Rays, and it'll be spring training here before you know it. Uh, Tampa Bay has a, has a team now they can get excited about and and start to root for. Um, and it is no surprisingly, it's it's the Tampa Bay Lightning. So, by the way, we're less than going. five weeks from Rays Fan Fest. It's, is that unbelievable to you? Yeah, spring training is about five weeks away. You know what it is? There was, I mean, look, there was some postseason baseball, right? So we got to we got to go beyond the uh, 162 games, and boy, it comes on you fast. It really does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's going to be a lot of changes. Look forward to Rays Fan Fan Fest. We get to see. A bunch of our listeners out there, and uh, I remember last year. Talk about how bizarre this was. So last year, um, we talked with uh, Matt, Duffy, Charlie Morton, right? Charlie Matt Morton, Duffy, and Amelia Pagan, and, du- and Amelia Pagan. Okay, so those 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 three guys. All right, so so Duffy had gained weight, and he was the whole narrative was, you know, I kind of wore down the second half, and I'd been injured, and then he spent the entire year on <laughs> pretty much injured, right? And then, um, and then of course, Morton was Morton, and you know, cerebral, and all those you know great things, and uh, you know, was just you know Charlie freaking Morton. Um, and then Emilio Pagan, I mean, ends up becoming their best closer, yeah. which but started the year was, in Durham, right? Exactly. And when we talked to him about you know what role he might find in the bullpen, late innings, or you know, just exactly where he thought he would be, and and he wound up being their guy. So. Um, yeah, we were pretty lucky last year as far as storylines go with talking to some guys. So I look forward to that, and that will be coming up soon. So a lot going on. And, then, of course, Bucks in, uh, you know, plenty of, of talk with free agency, um, you know, with what's going to happen to Jameis Winston. I wrote a story on Sunday about some of their options at quarterback, which we can get into, including Teddy Bridgewater, um, depending on what the New Orleans Saints do, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, that's a segue into – Wild card weekend in the NFL. Yeah. Well, first though, with the Lightning, Bucks, Rays, we're gonna do a mailbag tomorrow. Oh yeah. So go ahead and get your questions in. Whatever you want to mm-hmm. ask about, could be Bucks free agency, could be about the Lightning seven game win streak, could be That's about right. what the Rays may do for this season. Well, we're, mm-hmm. we'll have to do a mailbag on tomorrow's show. So go ahead and send your questions in at Sports Day TV or mm-hmm. at NFL Stroud on Twitter, or you can email Rick at rstroud at tampabay dot com. There you go. Yeah, we look forward to doing that. Those are always fun. We had great questions last week. I still got some left over for you. And uh... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Boy, a lot of people um, interested in the lightning, uh, obviously this time of year and, and the NFL playoffs. And the NFL playoffs which got started over the weekend, I thought was fascinating. And I look at it from the standpoint of, you know, you try to, you know, this year there was a lot of teams that the Bucks played, particularly in the AFC South with the Titans and the Texans. And, you know, we hadn't seen the Patriots in a year, but, um, you know, you, you certainly know the New Orleans Saints and you, you they played the San Francisco 49ers and the Seattle Seahawks. So a lot of teams that the Bucks competed against and, and um, games they, they lost to these playoff teams, but games that they played well in, in some instances and some, like I said, you know, against the Texans and I thought the Titans, they gave those games away. I thought they were a better football team uh, just when I watched them, you know, on the field together. And yet there's something about, you know, the the postseason that it's hard to get here. And when you do, um, boy, those are those are tough games and you you can't make mistakes. And all I could think about was, you know, how mistakes, you know, in a playoff game changes everything. You know, just, just a, a turnover here. A missed field goal there. Everything, of course, is magnified because somebody's going home. And when you think about the Buccaneers last year, you know, they just were a giveaway machine. I mean, we know Jameis Winston threw 30 interceptions. He lost about a half dozen or so fumbles. Um, You know, you just simply can't win football games against good teams. And that's why they lost to these playoff teams because they turned the ball over. You know, two pick sixes against San Francisco 49ers, you lose that game. You know, you know, two early turnovers against the Titans, you lose that game, and and so on. So it's it sort of is is that lesson uh, when you get you know to the postseason. If you get there, uh, you're not going to be around for very long. But I thought it was fascinating because you know the weekend kind of started off um, a lot of talk about Tom Brady, and and I I must say I wasn't totally surprised that the Titans beat the Patriots because I don't think I've never thought this was a very good Patriots team. I mean. You know, you've got Julian Edelman. You just don't have much around Tom Brady. Um, certainly they got, you know, the kind of, you know, running back by committee thing. Um, but it's been a difficult year. And, and boy, when you when you see them lose to Miami and go from a number two, possible number one seed, but a number two seed, and then have to play on wild card weekend, um, you know, that's, that's pretty indicative. And the fact that also the Titans, coached by Mike Vrabel, you know, former coaches have done very well against Bill Belichick. Thank you very much. And, you know, they got into one of these games that um, the Patriots probably didn't want to play. I mean, their number one goal, you know, was going to be try to stop Derrick Henry. They couldn't do it. And, you know, uh, you know, Tom tried to bring him back. They kicked a couple of field goals and, and instead of scoring touchdowns. And that really was, was sort of the difference. And now there's this, you know, even going into it, like the crowd was kind of jacked up when they announced Brady, I guess, louder than normal, right? They, they, they all recognize that, you know, the fans in New England are very smart, and they all recognize that he doesn't have a contract. He is a free agent. They do have a bunch of guys they need to resign. Um, maybe he'll retire. Maybe mm-hmm. he'll decide to go play somewhere else. And, you know, after watching that game, and he said after the game that, that retirement is pretty unlikely for him, that he didn't see that coming. Um, but there is there are people smarter than me that seem to think, Steve, that he may actually take this – opportunity to say you know what i want certain things and if i don't get them mm-hmm. um i'm comfortable going as others have done peyton manning the most recent example going someplace else 
and trying to win a Super Bowl. And there's plenty of teams that need to sell tickets that are in new stadiums like the L.A. Chargers, which say, may say goodbye to Phillip Rivers. And that, that makes sense to me. I don't think it's going to happen, but it makes sense to me. Look, I mean, you know, the one he's compared to is the GOAT. Joe Montana played for the, 40, or the, the right. Kansas City Chiefs. Yep. Um, lots of players uh, do that. And, and look, he's earned the right. And, and for the first time in his career, he's a free agent. But don't we all yeah. say after you get through the rookie contract and all that, that you've earned the right to, to, to pick what you mm-hmm. want to do and make those decisions. And if he wants to keep playing, if the Patriots can't give him what he wants, whatever that may be, then he has that, that right to pick. And, and we all like to sit there and say, oh, his legacy, he should retire or maybe should have retired last season is – Mm-hmm. Once you retire, you're never coming back to football. No, that's true. That, you know, I don't begrudge anybody. I don't begrudge it's anybody over, for yeah. trying to win another one if if that's what they really want to do. I mean, that's it's your career. It you know whatever the narrative is. You know, everyone wants to have the you know the John Elway walk off. You know, win a mm-hmm. Super Bowl and retire, but you know that's up to the individual when they want to walk away. I don't, you know, I don't begrudge. It rarely happens. For, yeah, it rarely does. I mean, mm-hmm. usually you're the last one to know that you're not as good as you used to be. Absolutely, I've always said that. I, the, the the greater the player, mm-hmm. and it's it should be the opposite, right? That you should be so dialed into your own abilities that, um, or people you trust in in the business would tell you the truth. Um, but it always struck me that like the greatest of players are the ones that don't know when it's time to leave the party. You know that they just. The lights are blinking on and off. The song is singing, closing time, and but, they have no desire. But the question to is, leave. do they not know it's time, or do they just not ready to leave? I mean, well, you know, when you're that when you're that good at something, both. when you're that good at something, yeah, you know, is it that I'm not ready to give that up yet? Even if you're well, not as good as you used to be. Yeah, no, I'm sure. I'm sure that that's part of it, and, and a big part of it, because it's their whole identity in many cases. Uh, you know, being the goat. You know, being. Tom Brady being Jerry Rice. I mean, Jerry Rice played 20 years. You know, he he at one point was going to be the number four wide receiver for the Denver Broncos before he retired. I mean, um, there there are plenty of examples of guys that Michael that Jordan stayed. played for the Wizards. Oh yeah, right. I mean, yeah, and we all know you know Willie Mays with the Mets. I mean, we all remember yeah. you know way all those crazy things. You know, you see the, the interesting thing about the Patriots is this: you mentioned Joe Montana. And I know a little bit about that situation because of being, you know, somewhat involved with my wife working Freddie DeBarlow um, Jr. And and you know the way that thing went down, the parallel to the Patriots would have been this: a few years ago, mm-hmm. they had a quarterback that was a backup named Jimmy Garoppolo. Yep. And you know Jimmy Garoppolo was gonna was an ascending talent that wasn't you know was gonna sit behind the goat for a number of years, and he did. Um, now, you know, Brady got suspended. He got hurt, whatever. Garoppolo played. I don't think he lost a game with New England. But Belichick was a big Jimmy Garoppolo guy. And in my opinion, several – and he might have been wrong to do it, but in my opinion, in several years ago, certainly by now, um, I think Belichick would have been just fine with Tom Brady going and his, taking his talents elsewhere because he had his young quarterback. And here's what I think happened because it happened in San mm-hmm. Francisco – I think the owner stepped in and said, no, yep. my quarterback is Tom Brady, and he can start here as long as he wants to. Yep. And that's exactly what, what happened in San Francisco. You know, Eddie DeBarlow, after much debate, I mean, Young had come in when, when, when Montana was hurt, <clears throat> won an MVP, for God's sakes, and was clearly ready to take off after sitting behind Joe for four years. 
And, you know, Joe was injured. I mean, Joe hadn't played. And, you know, basically when it came down to it, um, you know, he, he felt like it was time to move on. If they if they weren't going to make him the starter, he wanted to go someplace else. And finally, in the 11th hour, I think, um, you know, Eddie DeBarlo stepped in and said, no, Joe can, Joe's our starter. As long as I'm here, he can be our starter. And then Montana was the one to have, you know, enough awareness to say, you know what, I think I'm better off in Kansas City. You know, um, it's Steve's time, whatever. Um, I just don't want to go through this debate anymore. I don't want to certainly don't want to be behind Steve Young. So he moved on. And I think that would have happened with Brady much earlier. And maybe he doesn't win, you know, a sixth Super Bowl for the Patriots. But um, I I think that Belichick would have been fine with Garoppolo. Now they don't have that option. Uh, You know, they're going to have to go find the next great Patriots quarterback. So Belichick has always been okay with getting rid of a player a year or two too soon to prepare for the future. Absolutely. He's always, you know, look at the players he's traded where they may have one good season somewhere else and then it goes downhill after that. And he's mm-hmm. he's always get, get rid of someone a year too early, not a year too late. And yes, Garoppolo, I believe was his quarterback of the future. That's who he mm-hmm. wanted and I think believe he was forced to trade him. That's right. And he doesn't have that luxury now. And I think I heard his um, his his post game or, or his post mortem on Monday, and, and he was talking about that. You know, you know, Tom's an iconic. He's an iconic figure. He's an iconic player. No one respects him more than he does. But it's not it's not really totally in his control. You know, they have other players they need to sign. Um, concessions have to be made. He's a free agent. What does he want to do? So it was a weird. It was kind of a weird press conference, but it was an acknowledgement that. You know, for the first time in a while, those guys aren't just automatically um, going to be back for twenty, you know, twenty twenty. So um, we'll see what happens with that. That that's a fascinating storyline. And then, of course, you have another quarterback. We're skipping around as far as the order goes of the wild card games. But you have another quarterback in Drew Brees. And I'll be honest, I don't know how much more he can play at a very high level. Even though he was on fire going into these playoffs, and this is ridiculous to think. But he went up against a really good Minnesota Vikings team, and I didn't. I didn't think Breeze played well at all. They didn't play well as a team. They lose um, twenty six to twenty in overtime to Kirk Cousins, who all of a sudden has the monkey off of his back. And you just wonder, you know, um, the the difference is in New Orleans. You know, Teddy Bridgewater stepped in and was five and zero when he had to play for Drew Breeze, and you also have Taysom Hill, which is an absolute beast, both running and throwing the football. Uh, and you wonder at what point will Sean Payton want to move on to those guys. Or, you know, he certainly probably wouldn't be able to hold Teddy Bridgewater if he becomes a free agent unless he knows that he's taking over for Drew Brees. So, um, you know, that that's a situation to really watch in New Orleans because I think it potentially affects the Bucks. Uh, you know, as to you know as to who's available at least uh, in free agency and, and what a, an opponent and a rival like New Orleans might do. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting. What I mean, Brees had, what, a couple turnovers on Sunday? Yeah. And and you yeah, know, they had eight all fumble. season. You talk about James – you mentioned Jameis Winston with the 30 picks and how many fumbles, mm. and the team had a couple other fumbles. New Orleans turned the ball over eight times all year. It's incredible. I mean, and you know, and I mean, Joe Buck, when, when Brees threw the first interception, was like, they turned it over eight times all year. That's, that's a half a, a turnover a game. It's incredible. And that's why they won the division. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, ball control, and when you can control the ball like that, and not, yep. you know, the NFL is a mistake league. It is. It's, it's, you know, hockey's always been a mistake sport where it's, mm-hmm. you know, don't make the mistake to give up the goal. Foot, in NFL football, the players are so good. 
the systems are so good, the the video, the coaching. It, it's about don't make the mistakes. And right. you know, we saw that with Buffalo made tons of mistakes. Oh um, yeah, you know, if you watch the the you know they had a sixteen zero lead and Josh Allen, uh, you know, I texted a friend of mine. I said the Jameis is strong in him. <laughs> where you know he can make some plays where you're like, wow, that was incredible, and then but then you go, what were you thinking on this play? And, yeah, you know he had well, several of those in that game late. That you're going, what are you trying to do? But not making those mistakes, not turning the ball over, not getting the bad penalty at the wrong time. Um, you know that's what that's what that's how you win NFL games. Don't get behind the sticks. Don't make it first and twenty because right. you had a holding on first down, or even first mm-hmm. and fifteen because you were offsides or illegal shift or motion or whatever. Yeah, you know, stay in front of the sticks and don't make the mistakes, and and that's how you win football games. You also can win them with a dynamic quarterback, and Allen may be that one day, but Deshaun Watson might be that now. I don't know how he had his signature play so far of his young career. I don't know how he got away from those two guys, and and, and was clearly going to be sacked. Uh, and then he throws a long strike to get him in a field goal range in overtime. They make it and win the game. And then you had you know J.J. Watt coming back off the torn pec injury. And he, he really sparked them with a sack and sort of mm-hmm. became their emotional the emotional spark they needed with that. And um, they went on and rolled, you know, to get got the game, um, you know, certainly, uh, you know, in, in into overtime, and then they win it. So, um, you know, Bill O'Brien's moving on. I didn't think he had called the best game, but he's moving on. And Houston is, you know, got the playoff win that's that's what they've been lacking to take that next step and you know that's the whole thing too I was when I was thinking you know I always watch again in terms of the team that I cover because I see I've seen a lot of these teams this year it just so happens that are in the postseason and I think about Jameis and I think about you know pressure and what pressure does and it can make a hero of you right I mean here's Kirk Cousins uh, and the narrative on him never won anything at Washington never did anything and he makes a clutch clutch throw the throw of his life to Adam Thielen um, to set up uh, with Patrick Robinson all over him, by the way, to set up the field goal that wins the game. And, and Cousins, you know, uh, you know, it never gets a lot of credit. I think he had like 27 touchdowns and maybe four or five or six interceptions all year. I mean, a good, he had a good solid year. Um, but, you know, that that's not sort of the team you think of when you think of quarterbacks. And, and yet, you know, after the game, he even said in the in the locker room with his buddies, he started saying the old meme, the chant, um, "You like that," and that that comes back to the Tampa Bay Bucks and Lovey Smith blowing the big lead in Washington. But you wonder how would Jameis Winston, if this is all about the postseason, you know, what would Jameis do? Uh, obviously, to get there, he'd have to be playing very, very well. So if they got to the postseason, there would be that. He's a dynamic playmaker. He would make plays all over the field. But when the pressure really got really high at a visiting ballpark or on the road, whatever, you just wonder, you know, would he make that big mistake? And it's very hard to trust him, you know, coming off a year like he just did with the 30 interceptions. It would be that, you know, that's a good point of we don't know how he'd perform in the playoffs. I mean, we've seen seen him in the national championship game. Well, that's what I was just going to say. Like he was terrific. So, you know, we've also seen him, we've also seen him have, have turnovers, right. Against Mm -hmm. Oregon uh, the next year. Yes. After winning a national title. So you've seen kind of both. And I think that's what you would get. I think you would get the unbelievably good and some really tragic bad, but wouldn't it be interesting to at least see them on, you know, on that stage. And the thing is I'm watching teams and I'm telling you that the bucks, you know, they 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 gave the game away to the Tennessee Titans. 
They gave the game away to the Houston Texans. Um, they went toe to toe with with Russell Wilson. Yeah, that was you probably know, their who, best who game won. of the season. It probably was. It really was. And the defense could have made a few more plays for sure. And if I still say, if they win the coin toss in overtime of that game, they probably win it on the road in a hostile place against a very good playoff team that might find themselves now in the championship game. So you know they they're not far away. Um, this is a tough league. Every team is good. Every team's competitive. But you either win them or you don't. And, um, you know, I thought it was a shame, too, for Philadelphia. How about Carson Wentz? Here's a guy that, you know, the last two years, of course, we remember Nick Foles, the Philly special, winning the Super Bowl when Wentz got hurt late in the season of that year. And he was practically, a you know, an MVP, uh, you know, candidate. And, you know, then he finally gets to play in, the, in a postseason game. And basically, Javian Clowney jumps on him, spears him, as it turns out. I don't think it was that intentional. But he gives him a concussion. He's unable to finish the game. And Josh McCown, the Josh McCown that Levy Smith brought here uh, his first year in Tampa Bay, who's played for like nine different teams, ends up quarterbacking in a playoff game and falls a little bit short. And, um, you know, it, it's just an unreal story in Philly that, you know, that Carson Wentz cannot, cannot stay healthy enough, um, you know, to play in the postseason. It's a, I mean, we talked about it on Friday of, you know, he's getting his first playoff game. How would he do? We still don't really know. I mean, he went out so right. early in that game right. where, you know, we all know he's a great quarterback, but, man, he can't stay healthy. Sure. And, and you know, not not that this was his fault, although this is why, you know, it's dangerous when quarterbacks are running. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's exactly right. You know, that's what the fear of Lamar Jackson and, and others are is, you know, when you run the ball. And, and, and Josh McCown in that game was running and taking hits, and you're kind of going, hey, you can't get hurt. Um, you know, right. he's sitting there not, nobody, instead of sliding yeah. or not going out of bounds. He was trying to, to get more yards. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, that's always the risk with the quarterback. You know, that's and that's why they have the slide rule in effect, too, is, you know, you can avoid getting hit if you take advantage of the rules. But Give yourself up. But yeah. it, it's a shame because I really wanted to see how Carson would do in that game, going head-to-head with Russell Wilson. Yeah, he'd have made a lot of plays. I, I think he'd have done well, and, and, you know, Russ did enough. I mean, Russ hits a big throw at the end of the game. It looked like the Eagles might get it back for one last try, and they didn't. Um, boy, the guy that has impressed me is this DK Metcalf. Ooh. I mean, he he was you know he was the the quintessential combine freak, right? The workout sensation. You look at his body; it looks like it looks like it was something out of a cartoon almost um, to see a receiver that big and that yoked up. Um, but he's had a really nice year, and I I believe that he's had the most receiving yards of a rookie in the Super Bowl era for a playoff game. I think he had like 130 or so yards. You know, what he reminds me of, and, and he's a little thicker than this. Is Terrell Owens? Mm-hmm. You know, Terrell Owens was just this specimen of a guy, right? That um, just, you know, I don't know if people really overlooked him, but boy, once he got going, um, he was just just a special player. We're we gonna see, see him doing a bunch of sit ups on in front of the media. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. Next question. Um, maybe Drew Rosenhaus represents him. I haven't looked that up, but. I'll tell you what, that was that was a hell of a of a draft pick in the second round. Late second you know, round. Last pick in the second round, I think, yeah, um, by Seattle. So, hey, all the credit goes to them for having a good scouting department and, and, and finding that guy. And now you've got some really interesting games next weekend, I think. I mean, I kind of, I'm kind of intrigued by the matchups. I mean, San Francisco is going to play the Minnesota Vikings, um, you know, the 49ers. This is what we forget. We see these games, and you said this last week. Um, you know, which team is going to win the Super Bowl now? We should be able to pick from the four that played, right? That's the one or unique thing about this year. Games. You didn't have anyone dominate. 
No. You didn't have that word. It's like, watch out for this team. I mean, they're all good teams. And we've talked about the NFC Mm -hmm. has, you know, it was really top heavy anyway with lots of good teams. But there wasn't that dominating game where someone rolled through where you're like, that's the team that's going to win the Super Bowl. You know, you don't have that this year. And road teams won three of the four games again this year. That's right. Which I think that happened last year, too, if I recall. So mm-hmm. so you got the Seahawks will be going to the Packers. That's going to be an interesting game because I see I see Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers in a very similar, you know, similar game, uh, the way they play. Mm-hmm. Um, then, then, of course, we mentioned San Francisco is going to be hosting Minnesota uh, in the uh, in the other NFC game. And then the AFC, I mean, the two best teams are, you know, are sat home, and that's the Ravens and, and, and the Chiefs. And I don't see either one of those teams losing. I, I, I just think they're going to be – I just think they're going to – they're headed towards a, uh, you know, a, an, an AFC final. But the great thing about it is if you're in the AFC, you don't have that yeah, but Patriots team lurking, right? Like Because mm-hmm. it never mattered. If the Patriots were in it, you always kind of felt like, yeah, but – you got to get through New England. Are they, you know, are here they come again? Are they going to get back to another Super Bowl? I'm tired of the Patriots, and they always did. But now it's it's wide open, right? I mean, we're going to have a different AFC, you know, AFC champion, and it could be Baltimore, it could be Kansas City, um, you know, I guess it could be the Texans or the Titans. But uh, you know, I, I I really think that that my favorite weekend in the NFL. Yeah. It's not wild card weekend. It's champ. It's really it's when you have these this next weekend the divisional playoff rounds. Yep, those are great. And then of course that leads up to the NFC and AFC championship. But next week's football will be the best uh, the best weekend for me in the NFL. Yeah, I don't see the AFC. I see the top two seeds of the AFC winning. The NFC, any it's of the four, op- any of those it's four wide open. Win. Any of those four, I agree. Win. I mean, yep. You know, I, I think them and the Saints. I, you could have taken any of the five teams in the NFC. I wouldn't have put the Eagles yeah. in there to get to the Super Bowl. Right, right. Legitimately, all five could could have made yeah, the Super I mean, Bowl. I mean, and you know, New Orleans won thirteen left. games. They won thirteen games and had to be a three seed and host the wild card. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just incredible. We haven't seen a top heavy, you know, top heavy NFC like that in terms of record in a very very long time, with the exception of the NFC East winner. And we know what happened in that division. How about the? By the way. I finally fired the son of a gun. He, Jerry Jones finally lets Jason Garrett are, go. Are we sure? Are we sure that it's absolutely <laughs> done? I don't know. I don't know. My boy, my friend Ed Werder, who we've had on this podcast, you know, essentially, you know, pronounced it. Well, pronounced it done. Twenty four hours, and then twenty four hours later, Jay Glazer confirmed it. I suppose. I, don't well, know. I mean, but Ed's tweet, ESPN, kind of took that a little bit out of context. They did too. take that far. Yeah, he didn't. They took it he far. didn't say he was fired. He said they're going to come to that decision. But yeah, it's not. Right. You know, and ESPN was like, he's fired, and it was like, whoa, wait a yeah. minute, that's not quite what the tweet said. But you know, there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there about this Cowboys job, and one of them goes like that maybe. Because he he's going to get a he's going to get a former head coach. He's not going to hire a guy that's not done it before in the NFL. What if I told you that Mike Zimmer was the guy that Jerry Jones has wanted for the Dallas Cowboys, and that the Vikings would be okay with it because the guy who's getting all the interviews is their offensive coordinator, who they really really like, which is Kevin Stefanski. So maybe there's maybe there's a reason. You know, maybe there's been negotiations or some talks between teams. I don't know. Are the I mean, Vikings the Cowboys Vi- going to make another huge trade? Yeah, that's right. The it's a Herschel Walker, Walker deal. Trade, yeah, try to try to give it back to him. But um, there's all there are all kinds of conspiracies out there about this Dallas job, and I really don't know which way that Jerry's going to blow. I I just don't. 
I, I think it could go any place. But it's got to be somebody who is willing to, you know, to take him on. Well, as that, owner that's that's the GM. thing. I mean, you know, a, a lot of people have speculated whether it's Lincoln Riley or Urban Meyer mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. you know some names like that. It's I can't see those guys working for Jerry Jones because mm-hmm. they don't get to be in charge. You're clearly not in charge, and you're not even the voice of the team. You know, That's right. where, where, you know, those guys, particularly college guys, are used to being in control, and you're going to go to the pros where you don't have control of the players like you do in college. And now your owner, right. owner takes the, you know, I mean, that's one of the things when Ron Rivera got hired in Washington, and we talked about this last week, that, you know, he mm-hmm. talked about Dan Snyder looked at the winning organizations in the NFL and said, it's got to be a coach first, coach voice, coach is the leader. It's got to be centered around that one guy, essentially. And then Rivera mm-hmm. said it's going to be a player's culture and a player's first culture and that. But that you're going to hear one voice. It's going to be Ron Rivera. You're not going to hear Dan Snyder contradicting uh, Ron Rivera going forward. And that, or at least that's what he's been sold. And we'll see how that works. But, but you know that's not true in Dallas. And no matter what Jerry right. could promise anybody, you know it's not going to be true. Because Jerry can't help himself. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And that Dallas job, while it, well, it has the marquee and it has the – you know, certainly the appeal. I mean, there's a million people that want to read about the Dallas Cowboys. It's it's like the New York Yankees in some respects. Uh, it's not the best job, and I think people that have options are going to run from it. I really do. Um, they've interviewed Marvin Lewis. I mean, I you know Marvin was successful in Cincinnati for years, but eh, but that, really that's a guy who was successful and didn't have control. That's you right. Know, you didn't have he an owner for... that was talking, you know, in the public about you because Mike Brown doesn't really talk much. But that's right. You know, you didn't have a lot of control. mm Hmm. And Jerry Jones gives a press conference after every game. I mean, that's the weirdest thing to me. It's like, uh, and he has a radio show imagine? every week. I mean, he has a radio hit on their flagship <laughs> yes. every week too. So he just he can he can. And the thing is, unlike most general managers who would be like somewhat politically correct and not just hammer the coach, he can do it because he's the owner. Yeah. So he can say, I really don't like what we did on this play, and we got to be. You know, Jason's got to coach better. I mean, he can hammer your guy like every weekend. So. It's a tough. It's a tough position to be in, and um, you know I'm, I'm interested to see how this all falls out. We I mean there's a bunch of jobs and a bunch of openings, and you know except for Ron Rivera, who you know is aboard now as a Washington Redskins coach, uh, you know these dominoes got to fall in the next week or so. And of course, some of it is waiting for teams to fall out of the playoffs and when they can interview and that sort of thing. By the way, we didn't talk about uh, Mike Vrabel pulling a Bill Belichick against New England. Oh, with the punts? Yeah, with, the clock? with taking yeah. the delay of games and then the offsides and, and mm-hmm. milking the clock there. Uh, and it was actually a, a loophole that Bill Belichick exposed previously, right. and Vrabel used it against New England, and Belichick was not happy. <laughs> he was hot, yeah. <laughs> was, I mean, come on, pot. The kettle's over here. I mean, no, what are you talking about? You I, know? I think it's an awful rule that you can keep taking penalties yeah, and, and the clock keeps running. I think the, and I think they'll change it, that this offseason yeah. at this point now, but I agree. I um, agree. You know, but it is the rule. So, and and Bill Belichick mm-hmm. is is the best at using whatever loopholes you can find in a rule to to your advantage. So, it was it was kind That's of right. funny to see and and you know, Vrabel kind of had that smirk on his face the whole time. Yeah. No, it was I, you know, like I said, these these guys that have gone back and, and gone up against Belichick have actually done pretty well head to head against them. And that was just, you know, another case. And I, I was impressed with Tennessee. They were physical. They ran the football. Tannehill made big throws in the clutch. He's been a clutch quarterback since he took over from Marcus Mariota. They even ran Mariota out there um, sort of in a, I don't know, sort Two of a wildcat look yeah, almost. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So, I mean, they're using, using using him a little bit. So that was, that was interesting too. 
I, I you know, there's there's a lot of a lot of fun talk about free agency and quarterbacks. We'll get into more of that. Um, you can go to tampa.com, read my story on the free agent quarterbacks. I mentioned Bridgewater. Uh, I really think that this is a guy that, that Bruce Arians likes. I don't know if he's the guy, um, you know, but but he's always talked about how you got to see who's behind door number two. Well, there's a good chance that Bridgewater will be that guy. And if you remember, you know, went five and zero as a in, in relief of Drew Brees. You know, last year he completed, uh, or this season he completed sixty-seven point nine percent of his passes, nine touchdowns, just two interceptions. He's only going to be—he's only twenty-seven years old. This is not an old quarterback. This is a guy you could have for a number of years. You know, the knock on him, of course, is his health, and he's a slightly built guy compared to Jameis. Um, and he's got a, a you know a knee now that is kind of jacked up. You know, it, it cost him a couple seasons and uh, torn ACL and some other things that he had repaired, but. Boy, he was really good for the Saints a year ago, and if he makes it out there to free agency, somebody's probably going to give him a starting job. And if you remember, after the Bucks lost to um, the Saints earlier this season when Drew Brees was not playing, Bridgewater threw for 300 yards and four touchdowns with one interception, and Arian said after the game, I've always liked Teddy. I, I think you know he deserves to be a starter in this league. So you just wonder if that place could be Tampa Bay. But we've got probably weeks and weeks before – uh, we, we find out what their decision is going to be on Jameis Winston. A lot of people will be involved in that. So we'll be talking about that on this podcast and, of course, on TampaBay.com. Real quick, a sad note this weekend. Um, and, and it has a little bit of local ties, but Chuck Machock was the longtime University of Cincinnati color analyst. I worked with him for many seasons doing Cincinnati basketball. He was also the coach at UCF for a couple seasons in the early 80s. Uh, at oh. the time, they went up to Division One. Um, he was, I think the first year they were division one, he was their coach, but he passed away after, uh, he's been sick for a couple of years now. Uh, he was 82 years old, but he was one of the funniest guys you'd ever meet. Uh, loyal as all get out. And he might be the only radio announcer ever to be ejected from an NCAA tournament game. <laughs> that sounds so bizarre to me. Like, so, so he's calling the game on, on the front row then, yes. right? Yeah. And, and, and Bob Huggins is coaching. So. Chuck Mayshock recruited Bob Huggins to Ohio State. He played at the University of Cincinnati, but he was an assistant at Ohio State, recruited Huggins there, um, and, and then became an assistant coach of Huggins in the early 90s at Cincinnati, and then mm-hmm. transitioned to the radio uh, color analyst job after a few seasons of that. But Huggins and, and Mayshock were best friends. and But Mayshock, always the coach, uh, he, he kind of calls a game like Phil Esposito does. That's probably mm-hmm. the best way to describe it. Um, very homerish, very critical of the referees, will jump on them. He knows all the referees, too. I mean, before the games, he's chatting with them and giving them hard times and that. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, he's sitting on, on press row, and they're on the front row there doing the game. And there's, I believe it was against Gonzaga. It was in Salt Lake. I remember I was at the radio station um, when this happened. And so it's late in the game, and Huggins didn't like something, and Huggins gets thrown out. Well, then Mayshock during the break starts giving the official the business, too, because Huggins is his best friend and, and he's also that much into the game. And so then the official throws Chuck Mayshock out. And so all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, there's panic in our building because it's like, okay, we just lost our color analyst for this game. Now, the play-by-play guy is still there, Dan Horde, and he's more than capable of doing it alone. But it was like, what? Mayshock got thrown? I mean, we know Huggins gets thrown out. And you're kind of watching on TV and following along listening to the radio, and it happened during a break. So you're like... You know, you knew Huggins got thrown out beforehand, but Chuck Mayshock got thrown out. And so Dan Horde had to finish the game by himself doing that. I think since I actually lost that game and, and their tournament was over at that point. But um, he might be the only one ever to get tossed out. 
as far as announcers go. So that's a crazy story. And if Phil Esposito was close enough to the ice to where they could hear him, I'm sure he would have gone a few times too. Uh, well, yeah, I'm sure. Yes, I'm sure Phil would. <laughs> you know, or at least if they could issue penalties to the team or something. You know, I don't know that's if you could right. put Phil Esposito in the penalty Two box minutes. or whatever. But <laughs> that's right. I'm sure they would do it, especially but, as much as he gets on. He's usually right, though, however, when he gets on the officials. Um, but, but yeah, Chuck Mayshock, I got to travel with them. I got to go to a trip to Hawaii and Puerto Rico with the Bearcats uh, about 20 uh-huh. years ago. And just a great guy, great friend. Um, if you were a friend of his, he was the most loyal and um, funny person you could ever be with. I mean, he's just – I think Dan Horde, who's a long-time play-by-play guy, um, partner said at best, he goes, to show you how, what a good guy Chuck Mayshock is, is he's Bob Huggins' best friend, and he doesn't drink. <laughs> Which, if you, if you know anything about Bob Huggins, he drinks a lot. <laughs> and if you know anybody, anything about people that drink a lot, they don't trust people who don't drink <laughs> <Yeah>. with them. <laughs> That's also true. Oh, man. Hey, for tomorrow's show, get your questions in. We're going to have a mailbag. You can ask us anything you want about the Tampa Bay Lightning and their current winning streak, about the Bucks, what they're going to do with Jameis Winston or some of their free agents, the NFL playoffs, of course, USF, anything you got to bring to the table, even the Tampa Bay Rays, not far off from pitchers and catchers reporting. So we'll be happy to answer those. The way you do it is just send us the questions on Twitter at SportsDayTB. That's at SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. Then on the podcast for Wednesday, Tom Jones, Nostra Thomas, who predicted this lightning run, uh, will be with us, my former radio partner, and of course now with the Pointer Institute for Media Studies. And then we're going to have later in the week, Diana Neros, who covers the Tampa Bay Lightning, talk about the Bolts and where they're headed. And we'll get you ready for the NFL Divisional Playoffs, my favorite weekend in the NFL coming up, of course, uh, at the end of the week. So, A lot of stuff going on. We appreciate you guys listening each and every Monday through Friday. For Steve Burstink, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tempe Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.